Well, with those three songs, I really should let you go home. You've had the sermon in Christ alone. I love to tell the story. And today's sermon, people need the Lord. That's what we're talking about today. We're in Acts chapter 8. You can follow along on the screen. I'd like you to follow along in your word if you bring that. Acts chapter 8. Going to start with verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Lord there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all played close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Now verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasure of Candrus, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay in it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray real. Dear precious Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray again that you would open our minds and hearts to the message therein. That you would open our minds and hearts to what you're speaking to each one of us uniquely today and how you would have us serve you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got a little video for you to watch. morning rough life yeah you know here i am stuck riding the bus wife took the car oh yeah that is rough no to yonkers with the kids to stay with a man 
It's my own fault, though. I made a mistake. A big mistake. Don't know if the old marriage is gonna survive. Oh, yeah. Where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Just going. Mm -hmm. I thought I might look for a job or something. I lost mine. It's all related to the... Why your wife left? Yeah. Yeah. She may not come back. She may not. <laughs> anyway. Well, what else? What else what? Well, uh, what other stuff have you done? Stuff? Yeah, you know, rotten stuff. I'm sure that's not it. What are you, some sort of psychiatrist or something? You know, uh, never mind. Uh, you don't need to go into my life. We're both here. If you're thinking about it anyway, I mean, you might as well. Well, I haven't spent much time with my kids. Mm, yeah. And I uh, haven't had the most honest business practices, that's for sure. <laughs> no integrity, sure. I was in the Air Force for a while, though. Really? No. Um, that's actually a lie. I was wanted to be a pilot. I don't know why I lie all the time. It's ridiculous. I, I, I lie to everyone. Yeah, especially yourself. <laughs> Too proud to be a loser, I guess. Loser. I'm sorry, I, I don't understand why you're taking such joy in my situation. No, uh, no I take no joy in Oh, situation. no, you are taking joy in my situation. You're laughing and giggling <laughs> the whole time since I showed up. What? I'm not laughing at you. All right, this doesn't have anything to do with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's me. You're me, or at least I was you, you know, not too long ago. I've been there, man. Everything you've said, I've done. <laughs> or at least similar. Maybe worse. I don't know. I don't know your whole story. Why on earth are you, you smiling here? Because grace and love and forgiveness. They're like water. When it's poured out and it, and it runs into the, the, the cracks and the, the low, low places. Because that's me now. That's me today, drenched in grace, love, and forgiveness. It could be you too, if you want it. Drenched in grace, love, and forgiveness. That should be all our stories. We don't know, like he said, we don't know exactly that our story is the same as the man sitting there, but we all have things that we cannot be proud of, and God's grace saved us. We're in the book of Acts, and it's an exciting book to read. The book of Acts is that history, that movement of the Christian church throughout the world. I love reading the stories in there and, and how the church developed. And the church, of course, is the ecclesia, the called out ones. We who have followed Jesus Christ are the called out ones. We're called out from the world to live for Him. And that's what the book of Acts is about. In that book of Acts, last week we talked about Acts 1.8 where He said, And ye shall be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Acts, it tells that story how the Christians dispersed 
and carried the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. We read of how the message was taken to Asia Minor. Israel, it's interesting to me, Israel, that part of the land is considered part of Asia. Doesn't feel like Asia. I think of the other side, but that's considered part of Asia. And, and it was carried into Turkey and, and all that area over to India. We read about Peter being challenged to take the gospel up into Greece to Macedonia and he had to change some of his views. He, he thought that was unclean people and God wouldn't have him go there and God changed his mind, changed his viewpoint. And in that event of Peter going to Macedonia, the gospel then is taken into Europe. Today in our passage, we read about Philip encountering the Ethiopian eunuch and in that, we see the gospel then going into North Africa. And who knows how far else it went. We, eventually, it got everywhere. So in this book of Acts, it, it, it's just exciting to see God working and moving and the, the flow of the gospel throughout the world spreading. But it's, if you pay attention to that, if you paid attention to our Scripture, it didn't spread because everybody's having such a wonderful time and they just wanted to tell everybody they're a lot like us. They probably would have preferred just to stay in one place, enjoy worship with each other, but they were persecuted. It was still going on just like Paul had done. And we read about Paul in chapter 6 and 7, Saul then seeking out the Christians to persecute them. So it was persecution that really drove the church out of their comfort zone, out of where they knew each other to go to these other areas. And as they went, they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through that persecution, the world came to know Christ. People need the Lord. We sang that song. It hasn't changed. People across the time have always resisted the gospel. They, no one likes being told they're wrong. No one likes to hear they're a sinner. No one likes to be told to change their ways. But when they realize what God is saying and when they feel His Spirit within them and they respond and they allow Him into their life, and just like in that video, the one man in blue talking about how he was in a life of sin and, and going the wrong way, but grace, forgiveness, and love turned him around. And now he had joy in his life. We can get myopic. We can think that things are so tough today, and they are tough. People do have a resistance to the gospel, do have a resistance to the church. But people have always resisted. People have always struggled. It's always been a fight to tell them about the Lord. But the people still need the Lord. They don't know it. We need to tell them. Part of the trouble is today, and I think more in recent, than in recent years, is people have lost hope. And it's easy to understand. You may have lost hope. 
you know, at one time it seemed like everything was moving forward, everything was growing, there was prosperity, and now there's so much hardship, and we hear of so many murders just recently about the mass killings and other places. It seems like what we do doesn't matter. People have lost hope and they're taking their own lives at an alarming rate. Presently in the United States, the average is 13 and a half people per 100,000 are taking their own lives. Since 2000, the suicide rate has increased 30%. That number translates to 132 suicides a day. People losing hope, seeking that break. There's a surging death rate from suicide, drug overdoses, and alcoholism. Researchers refer to this as a death of despair. And it's largely responsible for a consecutive three-year decline in the life expectancy of U.S. citizens. Our young people who should have the future before them are not, have not escaped from this. In 2016, some of the last numbers, almost 6,000 deaths by suicide occurred with people aged 15 to 24, what we would consider the prime of their life, when it should be a joyous, exciting time. Perhaps even more troubling is in that same period, there were 436 suicides in children aged 10 to 14. Hope is gone. Lost it. Alcoholism and drug abuse has increased because people seek to dull that pain of despair. Prosperity has increased because people are seeking to be loved. Materialism, discontent's rampant because people are seeking to find happiness in possessions and pleasure. The reason for all these excessive behaviors is because people have lost hope. They've lost hope in their government. They've lost hope in relationships. And they've lost hope in their religions. All of these institutions, religion, government, social groups are good. They can help us. They can give us a, 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 a group of, that supports us and moves us on. They can make our lives better, but they fall short because they cannot and do not solve the root problem. Those institutions cannot fill the void in our soul. And it is this void that drives us to find relief. The void is only filled by a life actively following Jesus Christ. It's been attributed to different people. Francis Schaeffer's the main one. Really think it was Pascal that brought it up that said there's a God-shaped void in every person's life. We try to fill that void with all manner of items, but it is only satisfied when God moves in and fills that void. And so we have to ask ourselves, Christians especially, 
Maybe you struggle with hope. Maybe you wonder if it's been worth it, if it's worth it keeping going. And one of the things then, we have to examine ourselves. We have to examine our faith. We have to see what it is we're placing our hope and our faith in. Sometimes we place it in our religion, our institution, in the, the manner of how we worship. And that's changing. I, like most of you, grew up in the 50s and 60s, and church was different. Culture was different towards church, and now so few really want anything to do with it, but it's, it's different than what you grew up with. Not all of it's bad, but it's different. And so we have to examine, are we looking towards God, towards Christ for our faith, for our hope? Are we looking towards an institution? We can revere and cherish this building. I've been here 18 months now, and it's special to me. I love the stained glass windows. I love the organ. I, I just love the room. That's one reason I drive everybody to take care of it. It's, it's special, and I know it's special to you, and some of you have many, many, many years. But in cherishing this building, we can actually hinder the church of Christ. Our facility needs to be aesthetically welcoming. It needs to be comfortable and safe so as to not be a distraction from the gospel. But the building doesn't save anybody. The building is a tool given by God to provide a place for the people of this community to hear the word of salvation and to grow in the love and knowledge of God. We have been and we are busy equipping this building so that we can effectively share the good news of Jesus Christ. But this building doesn't speak. This building can't pray for anybody. It can't embrace the hurting with a hug. It is the church in this building that can and should do all those things. And in saying that, I don't imply that you're not. We have a good loving fellowship. But that's right and appropriate. Jesus Christ gives hope to the alcoholic father who's lost his job and he feels the burden of taking care of his children and his wife and providing for them. And he doesn't know how he's going to do that. And it, it isn't hope he turns to, but it's trying to get something to help him forget the problem he's in. To take away that pain of despair. The drug abuser, same thing. Jesus Christ gives hope to that single mom trying to work, maybe carrying multiple jobs to take care of her children on her own. Seniors, Jesus Christ can give you hope when you feel alone and forgotten by the world. Someone needs to tell the alcoholic there is another way. Someone needs to tell the drug abuser that their pain and despair can be healed. 
Someone must tell the one seeking love in all the wrong places. You remember that Eddie Rabbit song? There's one who loves them in spite of their past. Who has this message? We do. The key passage in the verse today is verse 31. And that's when Philip comes up to the chariot. He hears what the eunuch is reading. And he says, do you understand? And that line there, the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explain it to me? He could read the words. I'm sure the Holy Spirit was inspiring him about it. It, it, part of what was happening there is it created a question in his mind. I love questions because when people ask questions, they want to hear the answer. So the eunuch in reading that was pondering, didn't understand, and he, he asked, who, who is this writer writing about? Referring to Isaiah. And that opened the door for Philip to tell him that it was about Jesus Christ. To tell him about the recent history, about how he had walked with Jesus, who had taught them how to treat each other, how to live uh, according to the new way of God, the way of grace, not law. He was able to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he must have told them him about baptism because the eunuch makes the logical conclusion when he saw some water, he said, what stops me from being baptized? And so they stopped the chariot and the eunuch followed in obedience. Obviously, the desire in his heart to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And there he was baptized. And God wasn't finished with Philip yet because as soon as that was done, he was snatched away to another place to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. How shall I know unless somebody explain it to me? Tuesday night, we had our network meeting here. John Alton is our network strategist. And he opened the meeting speaking to us and reminded us of a statistic he had shared before. And that statistic is that on any given Sunday, as you came here today, nine out of ten homes on a regular basis are not in church worshiping, learning about God. In other words, 90% of the homes in our community are not regularly attending a church service. That's, that's mind-blowing. We're in the good, salt-of-the-earth people, and we are. And yet, God is not part of their lives. He reminded us of that statistic. And He challenged us, of course, to work. One of the challenges He made to each committee, as each committee is... is uh, taking on their responsibility and trying to do their, what they've been given to do in the best way, John challenged each committee to be sure what they're doing is measurable as to whether it's having an effect. In other words, he's saying, don't just spin your wheels being busy. 
make your decisions, go in your direction, but evaluate it and make sure that it's accomplishing the task of taking the gospel to the people. And that's important. We can be busy doing lots of good things, but is it reaching people for Christ? And another time I was sitting, this time with Alan Witham, many of you know him, talking about evangelism. And Alan, in, in encouraging me, was reminding me that there are many ways to share one's faith. Certainly part of sharing one's faith is being an example, standing up for Christ in our workplace or in, in our day-to-day -day lives and trying to show the grace and love of Christ, the obedience to His values. That's a very important aspect is being an example. The church, the followers of Christ should look different than the world. So that example is critical. Another way that Alan was really emphasizing is that we can share the Word of Christ through acts of service to one another. And he shared about a man who grew watermelons. And it was his practice to give a person a watermelon. And as he had opportunity, he would share that he did that out of the love of Jesus Christ. And it opened some doors. And people recognized his generous, loving spirit. And that act of service of a, a gift, some would say was meaningless, touched lives. These are all great ways that we can proclaim the Word of Christ. They're all good ways, but they all also need us to get to that point where we vocalize who Jesus Christ is, where we share what He's done in our life. There are a lot of good people out there, a lot of people who don't profess to follow Jesus Christ are as good or gooder than we are. They may give more money than we give. They may do more than we can do. And, they, and we can be indistinguishable from them if we do not share what it is driving us. If we do not share that it is Jesus Christ who's the real answer. So we must share that. We must talk about it. One of the questions we have to challenge ourselves is, are we a good example? Do we look different than the world? This pastor's heart has been saddened many times over the years when he's seen posts on Facebook that didn't exemplify Jesus Christ with the lifestyle. He's seen posts of people professing to be Christians, one time posting a meme about Christ, and then the next one is how they can't wait to get home and open a bottle of wine to ease their day. Any thinking non-Christian would say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus Christ was sufficient. Why are you having to indulge in this drug. On and on, the example that we put out there, some of our rants, some of our complaints, actually testify that we don't have a very good faith 
and the one we profess? What is the example we're setting? People need to know the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet tells of a vision. He, he sees God on His throne in the temple, magnificent high and lifted up. And as he views God, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I have looked upon God. He knew because of his sin that he was unworthy and he was deserving of death. But he goes on to write that an angel came, took a live coal, came and touched his lips, and told him he was purified and forgiven of his sin. Then he goes on to say that the Lord God said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah responded, Here am I, send me. And Isaiah didn't do that out of an ego of thinking he was this great individual. Just earlier, he knew he deserved death for his sins. He knew that he wasn't worthy to look upon the visage of God. So it wasn't from who he was that he's saying, send me, I've got all the answers, Lord. I can set this right. He knew that he was cleansed, forgiven, purified, by God through the angel, through the coal, representing that excising. And so it was through the knowledge of God, the power of God, the message of God, that he was saying, send me, I want to tell this story. He knew because of what had been done, he now was worthy and able to share the story. He now was cleansed and free of guilt by the cleansing of God. Isaiah could say that. Down through the ages, the question's the same. God still asks it. He's still saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? You're hearing that question today. He's saying to that to us today. And unlike Isaiah, we don't need a live coal to touch our lips to take away our sin. Jesus Christ has done that. Looking back at the cross, He came once and for all taking our sins upon Himself, making that penalty, paying that penalty that was required of sin, and that penalty is death. He took our sins upon Himself. He paid the price Himself. He became death for us. And so we have that ability now, like Isaiah, because we are cleansed by the grace, love, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we now can go out boldly and proclaim the Word of God 
And people can say, hey, I know you. I remember you. I remember when you did that years ago. And you know what our response is? You're right. I did. I confessed it and God forgave me. He remembers it no more. And like that video we saw, like that man, we can say, I was right where you are now, but I'm not there anymore. I'm cleansed. I have grace. I have joy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I started having you read the verses at the end of the service. The purpose of that is to try to get our minds in link with Christ that we have a community to reach for Him. And Christ's vision is He looks out on the community on that 90% knowing that they need to know Him and they're ready. He says the harvest is ripe, ready, seek for workers. But that's not the most as important as that is, that's not the verse that stands out to me. Rather, it's in verse 36 of chapter 9. In that, it says, when He, Jesus, saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Jesus, more than anyone, could have had a judgmental spirit towards them. Jesus had every right to say, I'm tired of their wickedness. I'm going to smite them. But he had compassion. For they were helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. I think that's a challenge to us today. How do we see our community? Do we act in a judgmental way, condemning their behaviors, their ways? They're certainly not right, some of them. I mean, that's obvious. But do we have compassion on them? Do we understand there may be a very good reason why they've descended into alcoholism? There may be a very good reason why they become a drug abuser. And we can't say that we wouldn't be there if we'd gone through their same thing. There's a phrase you're familiar with. There but by the grace of God go I. I never say that anymore. Because when I say that, what it spoke to me was that God showed His grace to me, not that person, that I deserve His grace, they don't, that I'm better than them because God did good for me. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. We all need His grace. We all need His forgiveness. And so I am not better than that person that I'm condemning. So I never, just that's my personal choice. I'm not telling you not to say that. That's my personal choice. I don't say that anymore. Because God's grace is as available and necessary and can be appropriated for the lowest of sinners as we judge them, as it was for me. So I don't want to place myself above that.
And so Jesus is saying this. He had compassion on them. That's why he wanted workers for the harvest. God wants his, all of his creation to be in fellowship with him. Peter tells us, for God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to eternal life. He desires everyone to be with him. And if we're going to take on the mind of Christ, that needs to be our attitude. We have compassion on them and we give them the answer, Jesus Christ. We need to have our vision corrected. We need to see our community as Christ sees it. We need to see those around us with compassion and they're going to reject our attempts. They're going to act enlightened and knowledgeable and they don't need God. That's natural. But we say it as we can. We pray for them faithfully, constantly, because the Holy Spirit needs to come and open up their hearts to the truth. So they're going to be resistant. We're foolish to think otherwise. A favorite verse of mine, oddly enough, is John 6.66. Terrible numbers. I kind of think there's a reason for that. But in John 6.66, Jesus is teaching the disciples. And the disciples were more than the twelve. It was all of them that were following him around. And the disciples said, this teaching is hard. Who can do it? And they followed him no more. That encouraged me as a pastor, to be honest with you. Because somehow, I think I'd gotten a Messiah complex that if I could speak eloquently enough, knowledgeably enough, everybody would say, oh, Wes, you're right. But if the Son of God could not reach every heart because of their wickedness and desire for evil. I'm not going to. You're not going to. And we're not charged to do that. But we are charged to tell them. And we need to do that. The population of the city of Campbellsburg last census counts around 1,000 people. Just the city limits. Within 15 minutes of Our church is more like 60,000, but we'll take the thousand. So that means that by that statistic I quoted earlier, 900 people around us, close by us, within two or three miles, are not worshiping God regularly. We are to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So how are we going to do it? Reaching 900 people is overwhelming. We're maybe 40 here today. How are we going to do that? And so we can throw up our hands. It's just too big. I can't do it. I can't reach. We can't reach that many people. We don't have enough income in our budget. We're unable to do that. And we give up. It is overwhelming. When my son was four or five years old, we were playing a game Dr. Dobson created, I don't remember the name of the game, but it had various questions to be thought provokers. And so Sue, Glenn, and I were playing this game, and he got a card 
read it and we helped him read it. And it said, you've been given a million dollars. How will you spend it? His little mind went to churning. Sue and I are ready to hear, oh, I want a new bicycle. I want the new video game. I, I want, I want, I want. What he came out with was a dollar at a time. Great answer. What do you do with a million dollars? Spend it a dollar at a time. How do we reach 900 people? A person at a time. One at a time. We don't try to bite off the whole ball of wax. How do we reach the world of Christ, for Christ? One at a time. We read great moments in Scripture in Acts where 3,000 came to call upon His name in a day. And those are wonderful moments. They, and we can set them up as a paradigm of what needs to happen. But when we study Jesus' teachings, what do we see more? I think we see more the importance of the one. The shepherd left the 90 and 9 that were safe and went and got the one that needed to be found. The widow had 10 mites. One was lost and she didn't stop until she had scoured her house to find the one. Over and over and over, we see Jesus ministering and taking care of the one. So we start with one. And the question I bring to you today, who's your one? Who comes to mind, and I hope there's someone, that is so on your heart that you'll pray for them faithfully, regularly, that they come to a full life in Jesus Christ? Who's your one that if God will give you the opportunity, you'll share with them what He's done in your life? Who's the one person above anyone that you would like to see their life turned around and saved? I think each of us can think of someone. So the question today is that you put a name to that. Who's your one? Write it down somewhere. Don't have to tell anybody or you can share so that we can pray with you. But you commit to the Lord. It may be a neighbor, a family member, perhaps there's a co-worker. Perhaps there's a cashier at the grocery store or subway or wherever you shop that is just laid on your heart. Maybe they've shared with you their troubles and you wish they'd come to know the Lord and get His help. Who's that one? And then do you have enough compassion for their soul that you will commit to praying for them? I'm not even asking. I'm not asking you to save the world. I'm not necessarily asking that you speak to them. God saves. God draws people to Himself. But He needs our collective spirits. He needs our commitment. He wants our commitment, our involvement to pray for these people. And that prayer really should be that, Lord, give me the opportunity I'll share with them. So you're not having to reach the whole world. 
but you can choose one and pray faithfully and earnestly for them. It may be that God will speak to you that you need to learn how to share your faith. We all need to be better of how to share our faith, to be able to tell our story quickly and succinctly. Just like that man on the, on the seat there, he'd probably never see that other man again. And the bus was going to come. He didn't have time to go into a long dissertation about God. But he very quickly said, I was you some years back, but because of grace, love, and forgiveness, I'm not there anymore. And that sticks in people's minds. So we need to be ready with just a, a word to be able to share. And so God will lead you to that, but He may also say, learn how to do it better. Learn the verses that can help you Learn the Roman road to salvation. There, there's many other, many ways to do that. Learn to tell your story succinctly and learn to tell it to where an unchurched person can understand. We church people grown up in it will often use terms. They don't know what we're talking about. What, what are you saved from? What are you lost from? These, these are nice church words, but they don't necessarily register. So we can get better about that. So my prayer for you is that you'll respond to this challenge faithfully. That God will bless you. This is my prayer for you. That God will bless you with you seeing that person's life turned around. Because I promise you, when someone you've been praying about, had compassion about, gets their life turned around, we're not going to be able to shut you up. You're going to want to share. So I pray for that for you. That one, you become committed and faithful to take that one and pray for them. And as that one comes to know Him, or maybe it takes, sometimes it takes a long time, that you'll listen when God said, here's another one, and here's another one. And that we take that time faithfully to pray. That's what He calls us for. We come to that bottom line of obedience to God. We have Him coming to us, brought, just saying generally, whom shall I send? looking for people to say, here I am, send me. Not because I know everything, not because I'm an expert, but because I have compassion and I want to, Lord. The way we get to that place is to trust and obey. We trust that the God who saved your soul and the one you obey in your life, that He will provide we're going to sing a couple of stanzas of the hymn, Trust and Obey. And then we'll read that closing scripture to focus our minds in on the mission and vision of Jesus Christ. We'll have the benediction and dismiss from in here. But God's call 
continues. Whom shall I send to tell them about Jesus Christ? Stand with us as we sing. Trust and obey. If you want to come pray, I encourage you. If you want to come, just stand here and say, God, I'm tired of equidicating. I'm tired of being mediocre. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to, Lord, with your strength. If you will say that to God, I invite you to do that as we sing. not see it, but I assure you, God is on the move at Campbellsburg Baptist Church, and I pray that He draws you in. Let's say our closing scripture together to remind us of the task ahead of us. Read along with me. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 